0: Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. Well, Welcome to Light Church. If this is your very first time, I hope you feel at home. And uh, it is so good to be here. And I'm so glad you all decided to show up and to be part of all that God is doing here. I do really believe that God wants to speak to us. Do you believe that God wants to speak to you in your own life? Yeah. It might sound like one of those primary school things where the head teacher says, "Good morning, everyone." But I-, I-, I want you to, I want you to understand this in yourself that God wants to speak to you. And it might sound really like you know fundamental, like of course I believe God wants to speak to me. But here's the thing: is so often in our lives we can approach church or we can approach when we read the Bible, we can approach prayer as though like we need to figure things out ourselves, and maybe God wants to speak. But actually, whenever we come around the scripture, whenever we invite the Holy Spirit in, God promises to meet us and God promises to speak. So I believe God wants to speak to us today. And that's, that's not just something preachers say. This is something I really believe that when the church gathers, God speaks. So I believe God wants to speak to you today. And as Holly said, we are in a series called Foundations, where we're looking at the book of Acts. We're walking through one chapter a week. So if you've been reading and following along, that's amazing. If you haven't, I encourage you to go back. Read through the book of Acts because we can't cover every single bit of it, but we're going to like condense these chapters and see what God really wants to speak to us. And in the book of Acts, we see foundations. We see the foundations of faith, the foundations of Christianity. We see the foundations of the church. It is one of those books that's kind of like a foundational book. It's a lot of establishing. So as we journey along this, you'll see how God just uses the church and how God uses Christians to reach people, and. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, over this, I guess, last couple of months, it, it feels weird about like COVID's not fully over. You see in the news, it's still what everyone is talking about. And uh, it's one of those things where like small talk used to be like, oh, well, how's the weather doing? Or, you know, what, what are you doing for your holidays? Now it's kind of like, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's proper weird, isn't it? it COVID. Yeah, proper weird. Yeah, proper weird, isn't it? And that's just what people seem to say to each other. You're in the shop and if someone wants to you know, crack a little comment, they'll say like, oh yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Strange there's people going, things getting back to normal, and yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is, yeah, yeah, oh, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, oh, glad to be off Zoom though, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of strange, you've got this new reality where like this thing, we've all had this shared experience, and, and it's funny, but it's not like fully over, but it's like sort of over, it's, we're in this strange in between, and I was on a, let's call it like Continued professional development, or a, a speed awareness course this week, where, where, where I wasn't going too fast, so don't be judging me. It was—it's uh, always concentration for me. I never realise when the the speed. Ch- and I don't need to explain myself to you. Right? I'm just saying I was on a speed awareness course, and because of COVID, it was all online. And uh, I've been to one before, I know. And, uh, <laughs> and when, I, when I went to the, to the one, it was in person, everyone sat around the tables. It was a very, very strange experience. They don't ever done a speed awareness course. Oh, okay, I got, some, I, got some, I got some fellows in the room. Well, <laughs> well anyway, I remember, I remember um, going to the speed awareness course. It's really strange, you sit in this room, it lasts for ages, whereas because of COVID, this one was online. And for those of you who have, you know, been on these long Zoom meetings, you know, for for whatever reason, there's kind of like a Zoom etiquette. Well, this guy who was doing the course, he was like very passionate about um, his job, which was actually really cool to see. It wasn't just, he wasn't really boring and monotonous. He was was actually really passionate about road safety, and you could tell that he'd been doing it for a while. And... um, and he started off and it was kind of like a little bit, everyone's a little bit tense because he outlined his values. It was like, these are my values for this course. This is, this is, these are my expectations. These are, these are the, this is the way we're going to behave in this course. And one of them was, you have to have a distraction-free environment. That was, they, they also said, like, if you don't, we can kick you off the course and you have to repay and all that sort of stuff. So we, we logged on. Um, this was just on Tuesday. We logged on and there was this one guy there whose baby was crying in the background. And he was like pretending like no one could hear it. He was like deadpan, just pretending that nothing was going on. And you could see the instructor was getting increasingly irritated until he stopped the course and said, excuse me, sir, I can't remember his name, but excuse me, like if you don't have a distraction-free environment... I'm going to have to kick you off this course. Like, please, can you either move or remove the baby? One of the two. And it, he was very like, so everyone was kind of like, wow, okay, this guy's serious. And um, so we went through, and about maybe half an hour into this this course, there were no distractions. It was all good. Everyone was on mute and doing the right thing. All of a sudden, the, the we heard this, like, really high-pitched speaking. Like, I can't describe to you the sound of the speaking, but it was, like, just just little words here and there, someone was talking. And you could see the instructor's eyebrow was twitching because it was definitely not distraction-free. Everyone was thinking, what was the noise? And then before the instructor could say anything, and this is completely true, this happened on Tuesday, this woman butts in and says, I'm really sorry, it's my parrot. (laughs) I know, I know, I didn't expect this at all. She said, I'm really sorry, it's my parrot. And the instructor was so confused, he was like, I've never had this happen before. (laughs) Anyway, all good. She did something with the parrot, and it was quiet for a little bit. And then about two minutes later, the guy's talking, and he stops because the parrot had flown and landed on the lady's shoulder (laughs) on Zoom. And I was sat there thinking like, I'm on this computer screen with people from all around the Northwest I will never see again. There's a lady stood there with a parrot on her shoulder while there's some guy being overly passionate about road safety. It was just one of those really weird moments where you just think, how did we end up here? You know, where it's like COVID happened and now I'm sat on Zoom with a lady and a parrot. Like, that's not the life I expected to live. But it's funny, He, he outlined his values at the very beginning. He was very clear. He was very like he he outlined these rules, and you know he said it in like a positive sense. These let's agree to these values. Let's let's set these values. And I wonder if I asked you in your own life, what are your values? I wonder if you'd be able to tell me. I I really value integrity. I really value creativity, or whatever your values might be. Maybe you aren't actually aware of your values. Some people could probably look at your life and and have a good guess at what your values are. Maybe your values aren't actually what your values are. Some of us think we hold some values when actually we look at our life and we think, "Mm, maybe I don't value that so much. You often see that one with fitness, don't you? You think, yeah, I really value fitness. And then on your third McDonald's trip, you have to come to the realization, I don't think I value fitness. I think I want to value fitness. But if you were to look at your life, you can often see these are things that I value. And the thing with values are, they're they're like guidelines or they're kind of like rules or they're kind of like principles that we set out in our life that help us to achieve or to live in a certain way. So your values should align with the thing that you're trying to do, the the end result. And in in your own life, if you want to be successful or if you want to have a certain job or if you want to be a certain person, You have to set your values according to that. And if your values are not aligned to the end destination, then it's unlikely that you're going to get to that place. Does that float? Does that make sense? So if you want to get to a certain place, you have to align your values. Now, the early church back in Acts, we see that the early church is very, very new. So we see that this context of this Really fragile, young, kind of lacking structure. There's no infrastructure. There's not real much like design or intention to things. They're just like a group of people that are, that I guess like Jesus set them off. You're going to be my witnesses. Then miracles start happening. The church begins to grow. There's this kind of like fluid, organic group of people that are just moving forward. And they haven't got like any formalized structure yet. So you kind of see that it's kind of like this position where it's all new and fragile. And then we see in Acts chapter 3 that Dan brought to us last week, where Peter and John, two of the, the, the main sort of disciples or apostles, they begin to start healing people. And they heal this lame guy who'd been lame for 40 years, and everyone was mind blown, this is crazy. And then people begin to ask, what is going on? Like, What is happening? Like, how, can, how can this be possible? And then Peter begins to preach to people. And we, we see then the, the, this, this little movement begins to grow and grow. Not because they're being intentional about growth, but because they're just following God and doing whatever they're doing. It begins to grow and grow. So it, it's still quite fragile. It's still quite small it's, it, compared to the, the other religions at the time. So you kind of see this little fragile movement that's beginning to understand its values, beginning to understand what is it we actually stand for? What is it? How is it we actually operate? And then in Acts chapter 4 that we're going to look at today, and I want to preach a message entitled Values for the Long Game. Values for the Long Game. And in Acts chapter 4, we see that the religious leaders, now I don't want to like, overstate this too much, but religious leaders at the time were a really, really big deal. There was kind of like civil law, and then there was religious law, and those were seen as very close together. So, the, the religious leaders were very, very important people. They were very intimidating. They had quite a lot of kind of like ego around the movement. They, they would definitely assert their power to people. So, you've, you've got these people who begin to hear about what Peter and John had been doing. And they've got this guy who they walked past every day who couldn't walk and now he's walking and they can't deny that. They begin to get a little bit nervous. Nervous to actually, because they're the protectors of the Jewish faith. They begin to get nervous that actually these young Christians in this small sort of like growing movement, this fragile movement, are going to overthrow the, the, the Jewish religion or at least come in and in some like You know, they would accuse them of being heretics, like take over and and lead everyone astray. So these religious leaders, they get Peter and John and they throw them into prison. And then they assemble what's called the Sanhedrin, which is essentially like a big religious court. Like you imagine like like a, a temple court that's all open and everyone's sat around looking. It's this real big public display of the power of the religious leaders. So Peter and John get pulled in front of, religious leaders to essentially explain themselves and the religious leaders are inquiring and what's interesting is this is their moment for the religious leaders this is the moment to squish this little fragile movement you know when something's like early days and you think "Ah, is it gonna make it this is where Christianity was in, in the first century well it was a little bit like is it gonna make it that they're starting to get more attention from people what's gonna happen This was the religious leaders' moment to kind of snuff out this this fire. All they had to do was disprove the miracle, disprove what these guys were standing for, and that would have been the end in their minds of Christianity. This was their moment. They pull them in. Big display of intimidation. All of the army was there, the religious army as in they would have been had they would have had their weapons, they would have been there. It was just this big intimidation. And Peter and John stood there having to answer for what they did. And then Peter and John begin to preach the gospel of Jesus to them. They begin to say like, "Ah, oh, this was done in the name of Jesus. And it's the only name which you can be saved. And, and they begin to preach. And, and the religious leaders basically say, we have no way of disproving this miracle. Because the guy who didn't walk is now stood here walking. They, they didn't really know what to do. It's kind of like this picture of, the, uh, of this, this religious court looking at each other being like, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to get through this? How, how are we going to pin something on them? And we see in the next couple of chapters that becomes a little bit more violent and intentional from the religious leaders. They begin to look for ways to accuse and they conspire with one another. But at this moment, they don't really know how to stop them. They don't really know what they can say. So they end up saying to Peter and John, right, what I want you to do is never tell anyone about what's happened. Never tell anyone about what you've experienced, and then this whole thing should kind of just go away, and you'll be fine. Well, Peter and John aren't too keen on that, and they say, like, you guys do you, but I'm afraid we're going to have to tell about what we've seen. What else can we do? What else would you want us to do? You know." So they begin carrying on to tell people, so they go back to the believers, back to the church. They begin to tell the church what happened but in this, you would expect them to go back and be like, guys, we got put in prison. This is getting a bit crazy now. But instead, they go back to the, the, the church and they begin to say, we got to share the gospel with the entire religious court. There's kind of this little rebellious spirit in the, the early church. This kind of, this value for a little bit of risk. Like, we, got to, we got to preach the gospel and then they all begin to pray and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we see this crazy moment of community where the early church are selling bits of land, they're selling their houses, they're paying for one another, they're all living in this beautiful harmony with one another. And that is an overview of Acts chapter 4. And see, the early church grew really rapidly, like really, really fast. It was like 3,000 added one day, 5,000 added another day. You know, it just kept growing exponentially And we actually look at this movement and think, how did a movement so young, so unstructured, so fragile, so new, last the amount of pressure that it did? In some ways, the early church should not have lasted as long as it did. In some ways, the Romans, the the Pharisees, the religious leaders had every opportunity to take out the church. But why why did it last? Why did the early church last last? I believe they held to some really, really core values. I actually believe if we look at Acts chapter 4, we can look across the, the behavior of the early apostles and go, these are some of the things that they valued. These are some of the choices they made that meant this movement of the church, this progression of the kingdom of God lasted. So maybe you're sat there thinking, that's cool, that's happened a long time ago. What's that got to do with me? Well, I believe that these same core values these same like principles that the early church held to are the same principles that you and i can hold to today why what what's the point well if you want to live a life that lasts if you want to build a faith that lasts you need to make some choices we need to make some commitments to hold to some values because how many of us know that following jesus is not easy that being a Christian is not always the simplest of walks. There are things we want to do. There's things that we think, should I do that? There are things we definitely shouldn't do. There's, there's just like this whole mix of complexity and following Jesus. And we make it so complicated sometimes. But if we want to build a faith that lasts, if we want to live a life that stands the test of time, we need to commit to these four values. Now, the disciples lived a crazy life and actually their lives did not last so long. And I'm not saying that being a Christian and following these core values means that everything will be easy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if you hold to these values like the early church did, if we as a church hold to these values, we will go through difficulties, but we will last. We will go through pain, but we will make it through. We will experience difficulty, but we will still have hope. That's what I'm hoping for today. To give us some core principles, some core values that help us build a faith. That will last. Sound good? Cool. Well, I uh, want to encourage you before I jump into these values of this. I don't read Acts chapter four or any of these passages that we speak on. I read over it, skim over it, and think, "Oh, what sounds fun to talk on?" Or oh, what? What sounds like it will make a really good preach? What make? What, what kind of makes this one make me sound really good? See, I actually study this the entire passage and condense it and and reduce it to its fundamental themes, its fundamental things, in balance with what the author was actually trying to say. Because how many of us know that when we read the Bible, sometimes we take things out of it that maybe wasn't supposed to be in there in the first place? As in, like, we read something and think, oh, surely that's what it means. So I just want to encourage you, these values are not just, like, surface-level values. This is the book of Acts, chapter 4, squeezed down into some really key parts. Now, obviously, we can't go through line for line. So I really do want to encourage you to read the book of Acts. It will give you such a fresh understanding of the Holy Spirit, a fresh understanding of the heart of God. And it will just show you about the way that Jesus moves. You want to get to know Jesus in your own life? Allow Him to show Himself through the book of Acts. So, here are four key values that the early church clung to and that you and I can in our own lives. So they chose Jesus over their own interest. They chose Jesus over their own interest. So when, we, um, when these disciples get pulled in front of this court, they, they, they heal this guy uh, through the power of God and they get pulled in front of this court, it would have been so easy for them to stand there and argue their way through. Well, where does it say we can't do that? Or maybe even try and explain it away and be like, oh, we're still technically Jews. Like, don't, you know, don't think we're pulling away. They could have talked their way out of it. They could have come up with justifications as to why it was okay. But actually, in this moment, seeing the church was dead fragile, and it, it, they had every reason to be like, hey, just give us a break. We're learning. We're figuring this out. And in fact, Be a little bit political about it. Like, oh, you're going to want to know us as Christians. You're going to want that. The political power is going to be useful. But instead, Peter and John stand in front of this court. And we see this. Look, in verse 10, it says, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then in verse 12, he stands there in front of an entirely Jewish court and says this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which... We must be saved. So Peter and John take this opportunity to choose Jesus as the main thing, to prioritize, to value the person and the work of Jesus. They don't choose to prioritize the system of the church. They don't choose to prioritize their own political views or their own lives. Jesus was the priority in the midst of this really, really difficult, tense situation. Now I think about it in our lives. You think how many of us, How many of us find ourselves in moments when maybe it's at work, maybe it's at school, maybe it's, you know, uh, when you're picking up the kids or whatever your social situation might look like when someone says, are you um, like what, are you religious or something? And how many of us choose to talk about the church and talk about the community? And these are beautiful and important things. Talk about, you know, the, the, uh, the groups that we go to, which are incredible or I'm part of the, the music team, or whatever it might be that we choose to talk about and present to other people, rather than simply the life transformation we've experienced through knowing Jesus. Yeah. Here's the, this is the difference. We can call ourselves like Christians, or we could call ourselves followers of Jesus, whatever you want, want to tell yourself. A Christian that is fully alive tells people about Jesus rather than simply invites to church if I can be so bold for a second, one of the reasons I think we invite people to church rather than share our faith is because it's far easier to get me at the front to tell your friend or family member or someone in your life something difficult than it is for you to sit across from the table and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I've been there myself. I've been there myself where I think if I can just get them to church then. But you know what? God has equipped you To be His witness. To carry His presence. To carry His heart into all the situations that you experience in your life. You can go far more places than I will ever be able to go. Every single one of us has been placed where we are. And we've been given purpose and a reason to demonstrate the heart of God. They take this opportunity. These disciples, they stand there in a moment where they could have just argued. They just present the gospel of Jesus. See, Jesus is the answer to your, yours and our deepest need. That, that is the truth. Jesus is the answer to your deepest need. See, so many of us will look for it in spirituality or spiritual experience. Oh, if I can just get in the, the emotional atmosphere of, uh, of this new worship album. Or if I can, if I can just get here. If I can, if I can just experience that. Ultimately, we miss out on a relationship with God because we're so caught up in the, the stuff that's supposed to facilitate it. Someone explain it to me like this when it comes to the, 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 the methods we use to encounter God. It should be like the windscreen of a car, we, it has a function, and it's supposed to be looked through. But the second you look at your windscreen when you're driving, you'd be pretty dangerous on the road. You might be joining me in one of my continued professional development classes. <laughs> A windscreen is designed to be looked through. All of these mechanisms, like the church, we cannot idolize the church. The church exists to facilitate the person of Jesus. Let's not idolize our spiritual experiences. They're designed, they're there to help us encounter the person of Jesus. Jesus is and will always be the answer to our deepest need. The early church chose Jesus over their own interests. And maybe this morning you have some own interests floating around. It could be career, it could be finance, it could be the church, it could be ministry, it could be whatever it is in your life that is just taking the place of Jesus. The early church valued the person of Jesus over their own interests. Now, I'm not saying to be radical and become a monk or a nun. That's not what I'm saying. It was a value. They valued the person of Jesus. Secondly, they chose boldness over their own comfort. Boldness over their own comfort. So we see that these disciples get thrown in front of this really, really intimidating place, this really, really intimidating uh, like group of people. And it actually says in verse 13 this. Uh, this is what the, the courts say about Peter and John. Verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, the courage of these two disciples was noted by this religious court. They were like, Yo, why are these guys so passionate and so unashamed about this message that they're talking about? It was the, the, it was the defining characteristic of these two guys in that really difficult spot was their courage. Their courage to talk about Jesus. And then it says in verse 20, I told you when the, the religious law said, don't tell anyone about what you've seen. This is what they say. It says, as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. They were kind of just saying, you know what, I, I know you're asking us to do this, but we have seen something. We have experienced something that goes beyond the, the intimidation and the fear that you're putting in front of us. They chose boldness over their own comfort. And then I love this. This is, this is the main part of this. So they get back to the, the, to the believers. They get back to the church. And they go to the church and they begin to share what was happening. And you'd think in that moment that the church would sit together and begin to pray. God, deliver us from this persecution. Please stop these people from, from trying to attack us. Please stop these people from noticing what we're trying to do. Can you please stop these people from actually imprisoning us? That's what you would expect, right? Deliver me from the pain. Deliver me from the situation. But what do they pray? Verse 29 says this. Now, Lord, consider their threats. In other words... In light of all the threats and the fear and the intimidation, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. What a mad group of people. The early church, stand before God and say, God, we have a big problem. Give us the strength to overcome it. I don't know about you, but that is a value that I really admire. God, I've got this really difficult, painful situation in my life. Please make it disappear. I've been there. I've prayed that prayer. But the the disciples, the early church, God, I've got this difficult problem. Give me the strength to endure it. Maybe there's some stuff in your life right now that you're facing and your prayer for too long has been, God, take it away. God, remove this burden, remove this pain, remove this suffering, remove the temptation, remove all this stuff. And God's there like, I have so much to teach you through this season of life. I have so much to give you. I have so much more of my character to reveal to you through this pain and this suffering. I want to encourage you this morning, change your prayer from God, remove it, to God, do something in me so I can endure what's in front of me. Because this is the promise of the human existence is it is painful. And we experience suffering. And we experience darkness. But the hope of the gospel is that we are not removed from this world. But we are renewed right in the middle of it. That's the hope of Jesus. That is the power of God. Here's the thing about choosing boldness. Can you imagine this? They're getting persecuted and it only gets worse. And their prayer is, God, make us bold. Make us bold to be able to speak these words with confidence. The thing, about, the thing about boldness and when you pray to God for boldness is this. When you have the fear of God, and fear not in the sense of being scared of God, but it's like a healthy reverence and respect. When we fear God, we don't fear man. When we have a healthy fear of what God can do and what he is able to do and who he is, we no longer fear the things that are around us. It's like when there is a greater respect or reverence for something or someone, it removes the fear of some of the insignificant things or the significant things in our life that we fear. So maybe in your life you're stood across from some things thinking, I don't know if I want to go through this. I don't know if I really want to face this the best thing you can do is turn your eyes to Jesus and understand how good and how powerful and how perfect He is. And suddenly your eyes will move from the things around us and we will stop fearing what people might think of us. We might stop fearing what might happen if, oh, what are they going to do if I say this? We begin to allow God to use the situations around us to Change us and mold us. So whatever you're facing right now, I want to encourage you. Start praying for God to remove it. And start praying for God to teach you more about Him as you endure and as you make it through situations that no one thought you could make it through. This sounds a little bit discouraging, doesn't it? Like, I have to go through it. But there is so much beauty on the other side of making it through. Because you come out a different person. You come out more intimately aware of God's voice in His presence. Your faith depends and your growth depends on these experiences that we go through to allow God to mold us and to shape us. God has so much to teach you if you would just commit to going through it. That's been my own journey anyway. I've learned so much about myself and so much more about God when I've gone through the pain rather than I've avoided it. Or prayed for God to just take it away. So, they chose chose Jesus over their own interest. They chose boldness over their own comfort. The third one is this. They chose God's power over their own power. God's power over their own power. So, it it says in this passage that as Peter began to speak, as he began to open his mouth, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to speak about Jesus. Then we see in verse 24, when the, the early church heard about what happened, it says they ran away terrified and they didn't know what to do. No, it doesn't say that. In 24, it says this When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. The first thing the early church did was take it to God. The first thing they did was to commit their problems to God. And then in verse 31, it says they begin to to, to pray together and seek God and read Scripture. Verse 32, it says, and they were filled. Verse 31, sorry. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. So many of us are trying to achieve heavenly missions with earthly methods. We are trying to achieve things that God has set within us in our own strength. And how many of us know it is tiring and it is frustrating and we end up burnt out thinking, God, I thought you called me to this. God, I thought you said I was supposed to do this. You told me to start this business and, and now it's not really going on. What's going on? But so often it's like, We get the assignment from God and we think that he's patted us on the head and off you go and and do it. Well, that's not our God. Read throughout the scriptures. God does not just tap the first domino and let everything happen. He suits up with us. He gets ready with us and he goes into these things that he's called us to with us. That is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. In your life, if God has asked you to do something, if there are things set within you, I promise you it will only happen in the power of God. It will only happen in relationship with God. You cannot do it in your own strength. You will burn out and you will be tired. The early church committed to always looking for God's power. Never settling in their own strength. Never just trying to make it on their own. They always knew that it was the power of God. So in our own lives, this is such an important value. When you have things going on, when there are things that are confusing, when life doesn't make sense, when you're experiencing suffering, you're experiencing really awkward scenarios and situations at work or with your children or whatever it might be, your first place to turn should be God. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so simple like when you have a problem, go to God. I can be the first to hold my hand up and say, When I have a problem, I know I need to go to God and I figured out on my own, and then I don't figure it out, and then I go to God. Let's cut out the big running around the, the whole neighborhood and go straight to Him. Let's just commit as a church and as people when things are happening in our lives, negative and positive when we have decisions to make, when we are trying to understand why does the Bible say that? Is that really a sin? I don't really understand what I'm supposed to do. The first place is go to God. God, I don't understand. Would you help me? We all all know that this is the thing we should be doing, but in practice, it's so easy to miss it out. The early church, they chose God's power over their own power. I want to encourage you this morning... God's power is available in the person of the Holy Spirit to do whatever it is he's called you to do. For you to be whoever it is he's called you to be, the person of the Holy Spirit will help you do it. So stop pushing him away. Stop trying to do it in your own strength. Let's commit to always choosing God's power. So they chose Jesus over their own interest. They chose boldness over their own comfort. They chose God's power over their own power. And finally, they chose others over their own self. Others, over their own self. This is a big value that the early church held. Now again, we have to understand the Bible is telling us what happened. It's not necessarily telling us what to do in this specific passage. When we talk about generosity, I heard someone talk about it the other day. Is tithing biblical? Tithing being giving 10% of your income into the church. Someone said, is it biblical? And the response that uh, they got was, well, if we want to get specific about what the early church did, they gave everything. So it depends how generous we want to be. They sold their houses. They sold everything they owned. So if we want to go to like the early church, they owned nothing that they counted as their own. Now, I'm saying tithing is a biblical principle. And actually, God is so generous enough to let us keep 90%. Now, that's not for today, but we could go there. But the early church really, really valued This oneness. This all sharing with one another. This choosing others over their own self. It says this in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. But they shared everything that they had. This is this beautiful picture where people that were poor, people that were rich, shared in this Christian community together. Now, that is, a, it, that is a description of the early church. But the, the, the principle to take out of this is this. As Christians, our life is not just about I. Our life is not just about us. I want to encourage you or challenge you today to answer this question as you leave. What can I do for someone today? How can God use me to build someone else up? How can God use me to meet someone else's need? If you want to live a life and build a faith that lasts the test of time, one of the ways is by serving others. One of the ways is by giving to others. You know, that sounds like counterproductive, doesn't it? Well, you're saying I need to build a life and the way I do that is by looking after others. Yes, because in a community like this, when I look after someone else and someone else looks after me, we are both cared for. But you know what happens when I care for me and someone else cares? People get Missed, and we all become these little islands that all sit in the same room and hear the same things, but go away and live our own isolated lives. See, the kingdom of God is about loving one another as what, just as God has loved us. A value of the early church was they chose others over themselves. I want to get the band up. I I do think selflessness is a is a funny concept to some people. You know, when you grow up and and you hear the idea of manners, and uh, I definitely don't want to sound like a grumpy old person because that's not what this is at all, but I do think we get so comfortable with what a a kind of well-mannered or a well-tempered or a kind or a selfless person looks like. We get so comfortable knowing that that's how we're supposed to be and sometimes we're so complacent about it that it doesn't actually filter into our behavior. And I'm speaking from complete. This, is, this happens to me all the time. Selflessness is one of those underrated values. People know it. We all know, yeah, we're not supposed to just look after ourselves. But in practice, how easy is it? to? How easy is it for us to just look after ourselves and not look out for others? Now, I'm not saying put yourself in a position where you're vulnerable and you're being taken advantage of. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying it is a desire to serve people, a desire to add value to others' lives. It was a value of the early church. And it is a value for us if we want to build a faith that's going to last. It has to outflow. The love that God has shown us, we cannot just store it up. We have to let it flow out of us. Some people say we're just the vessel of God's grace and God's love. We let it flow out of us, though through us. And God wants to do that in your life. We just need to choose to serve and to value others. So the early church, they chose Jesus over their own interests. They chose boldness over their own comfort. They chose God's power over their own power. And they chose others over their own self. Now maybe this morning you think that sounds really good. That sounds helpful. That sounds yeah, I get it. I'm all on board with that. But it's difficult to do that stuff. It's really difficult to to hold those values. It's really hard. I work in a place where there's no other Christians. I'm from a family where there's no one else that thinks or believes like me. Or I don't really know if I have what it takes. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't really. I've never. I've not really been in church for that long. I've not really known Jesus for that long. Whatever the things are flying through your head right now, thinking the reasons why you can't or will never be able to hold these values. I want to draw us attention to possibly the, the key verse of chapter 4. And possibly the key verse that, should, that our lives should essentially be built on. Listen to this. So, the, the, the Jewish court, look at Peter and John. And they hear them speak. And i listen to this. I hope someone says this about me one day. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That these men had been with Jesus. These guys were just seen as average, ordinary, unschooled, unintelligent, normal people. And the Jewish courts were completely astonished. Why? Because it was clear that something had happened when they'd been around Jesus. Let me encourage you this morning. I don't know the various ways that you discount yourself or or, or write yourself off or tell yourself that you'll never be able to do what it is God's asked you to do. The various fears and insecurities that feed into our decision-making. These ordinary people were transformed because they'd been with Jesus. The only person, the only thing that can transform and change your life is the person and work of Jesus. There is no spirituality. There is no amount of church. There is no worship song. There is no money. There is no reputation. There is nothing that can change you like the person of Jesus. And I hope that when people look at my life and when people look in the windows of this church they don't just say they're just so kind and positive maybe that's just their thing they say something must have gone on when they met this person Jesus see the disciples were just average ordinary people but being in the presence of Jesus changed everything and the presence of Jesus and the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus is available for you and I right here, right now. Right here, right now. You think, I'll never be able to live up to those values. If you spend a moment in the shadow of Jesus, I promise you, you'll come out more loving. You'll come out more whole. You'll come out with more vision and more purpose on your life. It's not spirituality. It's not like religious rhythms or routine. It is the person and the work of Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we'll always be here. Nothing else will change us like the person of Jesus and these disciples were radically transformed. And that's what I want for our lives is that we will be radically transformed by the person and work of Jesus. So if you want to live a life that will last and build a faith that will last, it has to be lived from the side of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, following His shadow wherever He goes. If you'd like to stand, I want to pray for you today. Because I know that some people in this room maybe have never made that decision in their life. Never made that decision to become a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you have and you just feel a little bit dry. You just feel like, I I don't, don't really know if I can say I embody those values of this early church. I want to be set on fire again. I want to live with that passion and that determination and those values that set the world on fire in the first century and still raging today because it's available in the person and work of Jesus. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want you to respond today. No one else is looking, but publicly respond to say, I want to live that life of intentionality. I want to live that life on fire beside the person of Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand after three. One, two, three. Say, I'm in. I want that fire back in my life. Amazing. You can put your hands down. Father God, I want to lift up every single person that raised their hand this morning. That has recognized maybe that their faith has grown a little bit cold or just just isn't in the place that it should be in. God, would you set their heart on fire right now? God, would you speak to them? God, I pray right now that today would be a day of revitalization where people's faith are made new. God, I pray that for every single person in this room as we set out to build a faith and build a life that is going to last. God, I pray that you would just fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. So that we would be able to last and do all that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.